Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, I'm joined in the studio by Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, my brother. This evening on That's Truth, we're going to be discussing the topic of carnival and fets. Carnival is a celebration practice which may go by many different names on different islands. It may be celebrated at different times, but the principles with which we approach carnival should remain the same. To list a few carnival celebrations from the Caribbean, Anguilla has the Anguilla Summer Festival in early August. The islands of Aruba and Bonaire have carnival in February, around the time of Ash Wednesday. Barbados has a celebration called Crop Over in early August. The Bahamas has carnival the first week of May. Belize has carnival in September. And this year in Antigua, The carnival will be celebrated July 27th to August 7th. Pastor, I know each island may have its own twist on carnival, but historically, what is carnival celebrating? From what I've heard, uh, I haven't investigated that much myself because I've never really had an interest in it. I've been born in the Caribbean. My parents were born in the Caribbean. Um, I've always been surrounded by carnival. But even before I was a Christian, it never had an appeal to me because I, I didn't just believe of carousing around, um, reveling, um, drunkenness, nakedness. Um, that never appealed to me even before I was a Christian. I just thought it was paganistic, and I thought it was something that, even though it was claimed to be part of our culture, there are elements in culture that I think are repulsive that the Christian should not engage in. And even before I was a Christian, I didn't think that I should engage in it. Um, but... I think it has gotten worse over the years. They've added new features to it in terms of perhaps you get better-looking costumes with people looking for artistic and creative aspects of it. I suppose the costumes are more elaborate, et cetera, et cetera. But there's far more nakedness than it used to be before. Uh, virtually today, um, a woman virtually undresses herself. You, there's nothing left in the imagination save these skimpy things she has around her breasts and her private parts. But other than that, uh, she is totally exposed, and um, I find that that graphic exposure uh, creates um, salacious thinking, and, and also I, I believe it, it, it provokes um, lustful thoughts, etc., etc. And our Lord, as you know, tell us if you look on a woman and lust after you commit adultery in her heart. So I think a lot of this um, that's going on in Carnival, I think it really is conducive to the fact that it, it provokes uh, lust and evil desires. Uh, so I, I'm not really a person that, that is, um, approves of it. I, I think it is a cultural phenomenon that is a Christian should stay away from. 
and I don't think it's improving. I think it's getting worse. E- even the Calypsos. When I was a boy, Calypsos made sense. There were social commentaries on issues in society. Now, most of what we have um, during, uh, during the carnival season is really dance music. It's designed to cause people to gyrate. It's designed to cause people to act um, indecently and, and vulgar, uh, in a vulgar way. And uh, what you see, whether on television or you, if you happen to be passing, and they're actually passing the parade, uh, it is uh, very, very offensive uh, the way that these things are done. So I think it's getting worse. And I don't think it'll be very long before it is going to lead to nakedness. I'm told that in uh, parts of Brazil that during the carnival celebration, virtually there are people that are naked. I think that's where we're headed. And because every every island is trying to outdo the other island, not in that which is good, yeah. but that which is the worst form of behavior. And don't forget that when the tourists come down to the Caribbean, they're coming down for sin, sand, and yeah. sun. Yeah. And um, so the more vulgar it is, the more indecent it is, um, that is the appeal, the salient appeal um, that I find that Calypso has. So uh, Carnival has, sorry. If I'm understanding you right, Carnival, and I've been told that it's celebrating the emancipation of slavery. So you're going to tell me that an individual can't go to Carnival and celebrate culture because they're a Christian? My point is, is this. There are certain things in culture that is simply not conducive to uh, a Christian lifestyle. Um, I hope that during the program I will show you from the passages of Scripture where we're given very clear instructions as believers that there are certain things in culture that we're not supposed to be part of. And the terms that are used in these passages of Scripture, uh, anyone that understands what they mean, and I will do a uh, study of these, these words, will see very clearly that this is a perfect description of our modern culture that we enjoy in the Caribbean. And I don't believe it is proper and right and seemly and worthy of the Christian name for Christians to be engaged in these kind of activities. Here's a WhatsApp question that's already come in uh, along the topic of Carnival, and thank you for the individual that sent it. comes from Sweet Santiga. If a born-again believer sells on the streets during Carnival, do you think they are participating in the festivals? That's an economic question, <laughs> a commercial question. I personally, uh, as a believer, would stay away from that kind of environment. Um, my testimony means more to me than making a few dollars. And it's very hardly uh, likely that a person who is um, gyrating and misbehaving and exposing himself shamefully uh, on the streets to see that I'm actually making merchandise of their display. Uh, I believe that they would have some question if I were to visit them and they remembered who it was that they saw on the street during that same time. And then I'm speaking to them about Christ. I think it's virtually impossible to speak within the authority uh, to that unsafe person if that person witness you witness you as being part of the carnival celebrations so I would I would not advise a believer to get involved in this we can lose a few dollars the Lord can always compensate for that if we honor God God will honor us so I would not advise Christians to engage in those kind of activities Pastor in conjunction with that question that just came in what about if I was to say as a believer I'm going to go hand out water bottles with tracks during the carnival parade what would you advise? I mean, we're supposed to be a witness. It, would you advise that as, as wise, or it depends on the believer, or what are your thoughts? 
I haven't thought about that before. Uh, and uh, some people will see that as a creative means of evangelism. Um, I think you have to weigh how the audience are going to perceive it, uh, the people who are doing the reveling. Uh, it has been my discovery in Antigua that when you give out tracks, if you go back uh, uh, um, not very long, the track will be on the ground. Yeah. Uh, people will take it out of courtesy, but they really have no intention of reading it. Now, there may be exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, I, I don't, um, I would not. Now, if it's going to pass where you're living, I, I could see you at your home or giving out, giving out a track or giving out whatever it is, but I think to actually um, go down into the city itself, I would be very cautious about that. Um, I, I, all I would say to you, the motive has a lot to do with it. Okay. Uh, the motive would be, to me would be supreme. Now, we can't, um, in other words, I'm not a pope, or nobody should be a pope. We should leave these things to the conscience of the believer. But I do feel that um, from, my, from what I've seen, I am not too sure if I want to expose myself to that kind of vulgarity, that kind of sensuality. I, I, I know that I'm strong in that area, but again, I, I don't want the Bible says shun the very appearance of evil, um, abstain from the very appearance of evil. Um, so I would be very, very careful, and I would not recommend, for example, that our youth mm-hmm. would, would do that. Uh, the temptation for the youth is far more than for elderly people. And to expose them to that kind of vulgarity and that kind of sensuality, I do not think that's healthy for a believer. So we established that carnival is tied into culture, but let's establish what is culture. Well, well culture really is the totality of human experiences within a, 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 a societal context, a geographical location. It covers everything. It covers the traditions. It covers customs. Uh, practices within the society. It involves your education, your economics, artistic and, and um, music and art. It also includes religion. So really, when we talk about culture, we're talking about a whole big package. And carnival is just one minute part of it. So we must not think that uh, carnival is the essence of culture or that it embraces the totality of culture. It's just one single aspect of culture. That's why we, can, we have to be selective in what part of culture we engage in as Christians. Uh, that is something we have to ex- use discernment and discrimination to decide, is this worthy of the name of Christ? Is this worthy of, uh, can I glorify Christ in this activity? So it must not just because it is cultural that we must engage in it. We must be selective and discriminatory into what part of culture we engage in as Christians. So you're saying there's a balance to be had. It's not that we shun all culture, but it's also not that we accept all culture. Yeah, look, the church has a few options. The church can fully embrace culture wholesale, everything that's involved in culture. The church, in the past, some of it has withdrawn from the culture and live in in, in monasteries and caves. This is what the monks did, and become isolationists. Or the church can practice what you call selective engagement with culture, and uh, discriminating which part of culture uh, has elements in it that the church can support or Christians can, can support. And we must have a biblical framework that will help us to filter what is suitable for the Christian, not suitable for uh, the Christian. And of course, there must, should also be a countercultural movement by the church because we must do everything we can to transform the culture and renew the culture as Christians. But we, we do that not by the church uh, itself, by, by redeeming individuals 
whose lives are transformative. And wherever they are, whether they be in music, whether they be in business, whether they be in, in government, using their transformative influence to influence policies, etc., etc. But I think selective engagement should be the choice of the Christian and not wholesale embracing of everything that culture does. With that in mind, what would you say the believer's attitude toward culture should be? There's a passage in First Peter chapter 4. I just want to turn with it there and maybe spend a little bit of time with it if you allow me to do that. In First Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, um, Peter is instructing believers how to, how to engage uh, with the surrounding culture, especially a sensual culture like the first century world. Uh, how, how, how does a Christian mesh uh, with culture? And in, in uh, First Peter chapter 4, uh, his words to this effect says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walk in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banqueting, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. You notice that uh, Peter tells us that there is uh, two time periods or two time frames in a believer's life. There's a, a pre-Christian time period where the believer engage in what Paul Peter called the, the will of the Gentiles. Substantially, what Peter is talking about in that passage is that the lifestyle of the person before he was a Christian was marked by his worldliness and, 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 and godless living. But then uh, Peter makes it clear there's a post-Christian period as well, after the believer is, has been saved. And uh, Peter is telling the believer that what he is now as a believer, he must not go back to what he was engaged in before he was a Christian. Uh, it is interesting that when you go through the passage, um, if you look at um, in verse number 2, it says that ye no longer should live the rest of the time in the fresh, the f- flesh of the lust of the men, but to the will of God. You notice there are two wills operative here. There's the will of God and the will of the Gentiles. The, the will of the, the sinful lifestyle of the uh, pre-conversion state. So before a believer, uh, be, a person became a believer, his, his purpose was to fulfill that Gentile mindset, what is called the spirit of the world. He lived a worldly life. But now his primary purpose after is to fulfill the will of God. So the clash between whether you fulfill God's will or you live to pursue the will of the Gentiles or, or, or pagans, um, it's interesting in this passage as well that uh, Peter says that there were two, several activities that we engaged in before we were Christians when we did the will of the Gentiles. And the words that Peter uses, uses are quite interesting. The first thing he tells us that we used to engage in a lot of uh, licentious physical indulgences. He uses the word lasciviousness uh, in our text. Uh, that word lasciviousness is a plural word and it has to do with excess or excesses. Uh, living without restraint. Um, and the idea here, here is is that we conducted ourselves with such indecency that we had no restraint to control ourselves. That's how we lived before we were saved. Peter's saying we must not go back to that. That kind of um, las- lascivious indulgence, licentiousness. And then he used the word lust. And that has to do, the Greek word has to do with sensual desires which are ready to express themselves in bodily activity. Uh, they are not quite synonymous words, but 
they convey the same concept of uh, sinful lust and sinful desires. And then they use the word excessive wine, which has to do with drunkenness and debauchery. These are things that marked and characterized our lives before we were believers. And Peter's saying, uh, we, we must leave that, and we must now go on to live in a different way. The other word that they use is the word reveling or rioting. And that means carousing, merrymaking, uh, having drunken um, reveling going on. And then the other word, banquet, that is used, has to do with drunken parties. Now, if you take these words, lasciviousness, lust, uh, reveling, banqueting, excess of wine, I do not think you could find better words that describe uh, carnival than these words. But this is the kind of lifestyle, Peter says, you used to live that way. But now Peter is saying you've got to live a different way and you must pursue now the will of God. And um, now that we become Christians, verse 4 he says, wherein they think it strange that we run not with them to the same excess. And this is what happens to people today. Uh, you used to do these things with them before you were Christian. Now you've come to Jesus Christ and you've pretty much told them, listen, I, I've done away with the old life. I'm going to live a different lifestyle. And uh, they think it's unusual and strange that you are able to put aside these things. But that should be the norm for the Christian, that we are new creatures in Christ, we have a new way of living, a new lifestyle, and we're not going back the old track that we used to before. Uh, so Peter tells us uh, in the same passage that alternative to this matter, he says in verse number 4, that you run not with them according to the same access, and so they speak evil of you. So he is asking the believer to portray an alternative way of living that is contrary to the norms that he once enjoyed when he was a non-believer and he was refused to go in the same <coughs> form of excess living in this kind of a vulgar way. But when you do that, there's a cost to it. Uh, people now begin to criticize you, <coughs> they will slander you, they will revile you, and they will assassinate your character. But this all comes with the Christian faith. So clearly, when a person becomes a Christian, he must put aside those former lifestyles that mark these five characteristics, which are currently those same characteristics that mark carnival and set carnival distinctly apart from other cultural forms of expression. What advice would you give to the individual who's been witnessing this time of year leading up to carnival and someone says, I'll get saved after carnival I don't want to miss out on the fun how, how do we answer that from a biblical perspective I've always had a problem with people telling me that they will make up their minds the day they want to get saved um, it's as though they are God unto themselves and they set the parameters of their conversion uh, salvation and conversion is a supernatural act uh, it's not something you just get up one day and say, I need to change my life, and you just rush into the kingdom. The Spirit of God has got to be working in your life and bring you to a point of conviction. And the attitude that you can just have your last fling, and then after your last fling, then you come into the kingdom, you are severely mistaken if you think that's how it happens. You come to God when God speaks to you and God convicts you and God draws you to himself. You don't dictate to God when you get saved. So I think it's an it's a act of folly to imagine that you can just go to carnival, have your last fling, and then rush into the kingdom after. It doesn't work that way, sir. You have a very shallow understanding of what conversion is about. And uh, you ought to humble yourself before God. And if God is dealing with you, 
That's the moment you give your heart to Christ as the Holy Spirit convicts you. God doesn't save you at your moment of convenience. God is a sovereign God, and He works in your life to bring you to faith. And there is a moment in your life when you can be brought to faith, and you ought to take that opportunity, because you can lose that opportunity and may never come again. I was talking to someone this past week, and this individual is, is saved now and is serving the Lord, but they said, looking back at their past, they said, I put salvation on hold around carnival time many years ago, and after that, I got deeper and deeper into the world. I found it very interesting that that person said that, you know, that the carnival led them deeper. Uh, I guess sin is that way. It leads you deeper than you plan to go. Yeah. I think anybody, look, I am now in my 60s. The things I'm seeing, and I don't purposely look to see them, but if, I, if, I, if I've got news or a flash, whatever, the vulgarity and the indecency that I am seeing and the lewdness I'm seeing on the streets, I do not recall seeing that in my boyhood days. Now, um, in my boyhood days, I was not exposed to a lot of the pornographic things you see at Carnival. But what little I did see at my, at my young age, it had a tremendous pull on me. Uh, and that's and I can imagine now that you've got a young generation that is virtually witnessing nakedness at a level that uh, not much left to 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 um, uh, to ponder. Basically, you can imagine the attraction that has on young people, the peer pressure then to be part of the carnival, the reveling, the drinking, the sex that goes on uh, after the these marches. I remember someone telling me that um, uh, the runaway beach where we normally go to have baptism, uh, I remember there's a parade that goes in that direction with the carnival, and I remember somebody telling me that uh, on their way back, uh, and they were walking on the beach, and the things that were going on on the beach, and in those, it, was, it, it was just shocking, totally shocking. So there's a lot of immorality that goes on. As a matter of fact, I'm told that after the carnival, the, it's the highest time of pregnancy in the Caribbean. Hmm. So it's not just about dancing. It's the alcohol and the immorality that goes on and the, the flesh gyrating against each other. I mean, you, you've seen it is, it is so embarrassing. Yeah. And the women behave worse than the men. That's shocking. And there's no shame or embarrassment whatsoever. I wonder sometimes if these ladies ever look on television and see what we see and the utter disgust uh, that it does, how it demeans the dignity of women. Yeah. Now you can imagine then the, the, the impact that has on the younger generation. And I'm not surprised the, the, the writer would say that, that it, it, it pulled him further and further and further into the world. Now let's take that from the, the here and now to the future as society continues to degrade. What do you see the effects of this lewd and nakedness at Carnival? How does that affect the family and marriages? Well, number one, I, I, my greatest concern is for the young kids. Now you have a second generation coming up. They're being prepared from uh, primary school and maybe even nursery school. I'm not junior sure. carnival. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got the junior carnival. You got so what you've got now. You've got in a, a, a new generation being prepared to take over from this other generation. The impact that has on these kids. Uh, you get the, the the music, beat the drums, beat the drums. There is that atmosphere of of, of freedom and liberty and uh, a kind of a libertine uh, environment where you are pretty much throwing off all your restraints. 
you see some of these children as well, they, they walk up just as bad as the adults do. <laughs> what are we teaching them, right? But I'm told in the Caribbean that culture begins below the waist. And I think that's probably what is happening in our, in our Caribbean. We're destroying our people. We're destroying the next generation. And we're all doing it in the name of culture. Let me say this. If it is true that when the slaves were emancipated, that they acted in this vulgar way, uh, I find it hard to believe that that was what was being practiced. I think we've gone far beyond that. And the proper way to have celebrated the emancipation is not this vulgar, loose way in the streets with bacchanal and masquerading and dancing and walking up and so on and so on. The proper way to express is thanksgiving to God. Uh, and, and, you know, so... I don't know. I've heard all this that the when the slaves got free, they went out in the streets and they did this, and therefore something being perpetuated. I don't know if we were writing history or not, but I find it difficult to believe that that's the kind of behavior, the vulgar behavior that they would have had after being liberated and set free and emancipated. But as for, now, that's one thing. The kids. Uh, the other thing that I, I worry about, uh, as you mentioned, the families. Um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of a lot of immorality that goes on during carnival. Uh, a lot of marriages get destroyed during carnival. Uh, a lot of young people you uh, lose their virginity during time of carnival. Uh, so, in terms of the moral state of the country, it is not an uplift to the country; it's a degradation to the country. Even and from a secular worldview, you would say it's a degradation to the of, country. Of course, of course, okay. of course. As I said, even before I was a believer, this could never attract me. This kind of vulgarity could never attract me. Uh, it didn't have the appeal to me, uh, but of course, it was not as bad as it is today. And I don't feel that it really helps the country, and uh, that we. Uh, but again, it's a big commercial enterprise as well. I mean, so it's, it's next to Christmas probably the, the other big thing in the Caribbean. That is why I know every single Caribbean has got some carnival going on. It's, it's like to lift up the economy. Uh, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The longer I live, the more I believe that is true. That mm. the motivation behind a lot of these things is just a smoke stream of culture, but behind it really is a com- commercial interest. And of course, the merchants will uh, promote it and advocate it and support it because it brings money into the coffers. From the Bible, which is the basis of you answering questions on this program, what should be our view of the Junior Carnival? If carnival, in, in, in as far as the believer is concerned, and I think I just showed you from Peter, uh, the elements, those five elements that Peter talks about that marked our lifestyles before we were Christians. Peter's saying uh, that form of lifestyle we must put aside and we no longer pursue that. Uh, if that is the Christian position, right, that the Christian should not engage in those activities, uh, it is very, it follows through that the junior, junior carnival that leads to the senior carnival, that as well is something that Christians should not engage in. Um, I have watched once in a while, again, when it comes on, uh, the skimpiness of these young kids, uh, the parade, and a lot of them don't really seem to grasp what it's about. It's just it's fun to them. Uh, and I suppose that once you ingrain this, in, in, indoctrinate and inculcate this kind of thinking into, into the young minds, uh, it will be carried over into their uh, teenage years and then into their adult life. So I don't think it is helpful and it's not something a Christian should allow their children to engage in, uh, this, this, this junior carnival. Pastor Murphy, how do we decide when culture and Christianity can coexist and when Christianity wins out? 
Look, the Christian can't help it. He's going to have to engage in culture. Um, whether or not um, the aspects of culture that he should engage in, um, there are certain things that I think should guide him in trying to decipher and discriminate what actually he's supposed to get engaged in as a, as a, as a believer, so what he's supposed to oppose. Uh, the interface of the Christian with the, 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 the world is uh, a basic principle that uh, has to do with our culture. I want to make a few references here to the book of John. Uh, Christ tells us that we are left in the world. Uh, wherever we are, that's our culture. We're left there. But he says in the same book of John, chapter 17, in two verses, verses 14 and 16, that we are not of the world. So we are in culture, but we've got to be careful that we're not part of the culture in the sense that we're totally uh, surrendered to the culture and uh, we don't use any discrimination. We fully embrace the culture. Then he went on and he, he says in the same book of John, he says that the world would hate the Christian or her hate the believer. And we must expect that from the culture. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He lived in a culture that hated him. And he said, when you come to your own culture in your world, they're going to hate you as well. Because the Christian is substantially different. Uh, we are the salt and the light of the world. Salt is that which hinders corruption, which holds it back. That's the the force of the believer. To, it should be a, a force that, uh, that um, suppresses that which is wrong and evil and corrupt. And that's the function of salt. Uh, and then, of course, he's light. He has to offer a, a better alternative. Uh, so, when we engage in culture, we're holding down the aspect of culture that's corrupt. But we must also be providing light to lead the culture. That's why I talk about cultural re uh, renewal and uh, tr cultural transformation to the believer. So, we're also told in the scriptures, as far as the world is concerned, that we're not supposed to love the world. That's First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And uh, in Romans uh, chapter 12, we're told not to conform to the world. And that's a key, a key verse, by the way. Uh, if you read uh, Philip's translation of that Bible, it says, don't let the world fit you into its mold. Uh, and in other words, you don't conform to the mold of the world. Don't conform to the thinking of the world. So the Christian must engage in culture, but whether we win or not depends on the level of conformity that the Christian allows the world to impact him. And that's why we need to understand also in Corinthians, uh, Paul said that we must be not yoked with unbelievers, and that has to be with the, the worldly culture in which we live. So uh, to answer your question, we've got to engage in culture. Uh, the extent to which we even overcome the culture, the culture overwhelms us, has to do with the level of conformity that we that the, we allow the, the, the world to, to shape us into. And uh, Paul warned us about that, that we need to live be, to be separate. Okay, so I agree that I shouldn't be in the carnival parades. But isn't it fine for me to observe and celebrate from the sidewalk as the parades go by? I mean, I have Christian liberty after all, right? Well, I agree with you that you've got Christian liberty, but there are other factors that you need to take into consideration. And maybe I will take some time uh, right now to uh, give you some biblical principles that should guide the believer in dealing with matters that are questionable, that they're not too sure about. Uh, there are some very clear biblical principles that will help you. Listen, 
Our primary concern is not culture as Christians. That is not our primary concern. That's not the driving, motivating force. Remember what we talked in Peter? That there are two wills that uh, guide us. There was the will of the Gentile, the, the, that's the will, the will of the world, uh, the, the, the will of living a lascivious life, and then Paul talked about the will of God. So we've got to be very, very sure that what, what motivates the believer is the will of God. And I would like to make some suggestions to you. Uh, when you've got, ask yourself a few questions that would probably help you. Okay, you didn't go to the carnival, but you intend to go and watch it and enjoy some of the, maybe the creativity, the artistic work, whatever it is. Maybe the uh, part of the side of that is maybe the, 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 the women and the way they dress, etc. Et I don't judge your motive. But here are some questions you need to ask yourself. Is, can I really glorify God? Would my presence really glorify God in that kind of a setting? And by the way, when it says glorify God, it's not a mystical term. To glorify God is to put God on display. So am I being part of an activity of that nature that the Bible condemns and tells me these five things that Peter tells me not to engage in? Now, I'm not doing it myself, but I'm enjoying watching other people. You know, Paul talks about in Romans, who not only do these things, but take pleasure in them that do them, Romans chapter 1. Uh, so, is this going to glorify God? The other thing is, does it have the appearance of evil? Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, that we must abstain from the very appearance of all evil. Um, this is not a wholesome activity that's going on. It does have the appearance of evil. There is the alcoholism, there is the licentiousness, there is the lasciviousness, there is the reveling, uh, there is this uh, lustful atmosphere, uh, etc. going on. So clearly it has the appearance of evil. Does it create an opportunity for the flesh? Romans chapter 13 verse 30 said, make no provision for the flesh. I don't think you could argue against oh, that oh, one. Of course. <laughs> um, the unsaved man will tell you that part of the reason why he goes is because... There's flesh all over the place. See, there is virtual nudity in these uh, in these activities. Uh, the 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 acts that are done uh, during the parades and during the marching, we've all seen them on television. It's totally, totally repulsive and vulgar. Uh, so, does this create an opportunity for the flesh to stir the flesh? I think it'd be very doubtful for you to be able to watch pornography and tell me it doesn't stir the flesh. And that is virtual pornography. The other thing that Paul talks about, is it beneficial? Is it helpful? You find that in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. How helpful is this? How beneficial is this to you, to another believer, to a person uh, who is an unsafe person? And of course, is this something that uh, edifies and builds up your faith and builds up your confidence. Paul says, all things are lawful, but all things do not edify. Does it, does it lift me up? And then in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, uh, all things are lawful, but he said, I will not be brought under the power of anything. Is this an enslaving habit that can produce uh, these desires in my life and so that I keep repeating the same thing year after year is become so ingrained in me that I am virtually a slave to this cultural expression. If you can answer those questions, I think it would really help you 
as a believer. And then there's another important question. Paul says, walk worthy of your vocation, your calling. Is this thing consistent with your calling as a believer and in terms of your testimony and witness to Christ? Uh, if it is not, I would suggest to you that it's not something you should engage in as a believer. Here's the final one. Is this something that I can take God and the Holy Spirit with and have confidence that they too would relish and enjoy what I'm watching? Because whether you know it or not, everywhere you go as a Christian, you are taking God and you're taking the Holy Spirit with you. Um, is He pleased with you watching what you're seeing? Or is He offended? Is He grieved? Is he quench? I think those are several questions that should help you as a believer uh, to provide some guidelines and some principles that when you're faced with situations where you're not too sure what you should do, run them through this simple F of, of, of uh, principles, and I believe you, it would give you a better understanding and a grasp of what, whether or not you should engage in it or you should avoid it. Do you live in Antigua and you're looking for a good Bible-preaching church to attend? Let me encourage you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Upper Gambles, Antigua. Grace is the church that Pastor Dr. David Murphy pastors. Grace is located on Rowan Henry Street in Upper Gambles. On Sundays, Sunday school is at 9 a.m. The service follows at 10 a.m. and then another at 7 p.m. And then on Thursdays, there's a 7 p.m. prayer and Bible study. Again, we're not trying to take you away from your church if it's Bible preaching. But if you don't have a church, come on out and visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles, Antigua. Pastor Murphy, we had a WhatsApp message come in from Antigua. Should we as Christians do more to boycott or protest against carnival than rather than just sitting out? I I believe there's room for Christian activism. Um, I am not too sure what would be accomplished um, with this aspect of carnival is concerned. Uh, you, as you know, there are some churches that have a delegation that goes to um, goes to carnival. Um, so I am not too sure if what that can do and how how it would work. Uh, again, I am more for individuals within the churches, the laymen, who get a burden for these kind of me- me- things rather than the church itself getting engaged uh, as a church. Um, I, I I would rather the individuals uh, if they want to protest and they want to rally rather than the than, than church, per se, doing this. But I'm not too sure what effect it would have um, in, in terms of turning back the tide of this, this, this movement in Antigua. I think what is needed is not so much protesting. I think what is needed is the gospel need to be preached in our churches. Repentance, and we need to talk about sin and repentance and hell and damnation in our churches. We're not doing that. Most sermons today are psychological sermons, and most of them are not sermons to stir any conviction. It's designed to make people feel good about themselves and to entertain them. I think we will only be able to transform society as the gospel penetrates the, the, the society, which has to do with strong gospel preaching in our churches. That is the only means of transforming society by changing individuals. Uh, I would not discount it, however, uh, if there was going to be a protest on these matters, but I am not too sure what, what long-term results would, would happen. But I do know this. If we preach the gospel and we get genuine, authentic conversion, we will have people abandoning carnival. I have no doubts in my mind about that. So I'd rather be going a gospel preaching ministry 
than we go on a street walking ministry with signs and placards. I'm not too sure that accomplishes much. Kind of tied in with this, another message came from Antigua. It's a little lengthy, but follow with me here. Wikipedia shows that most well-attended shows for Antigua Carnival, Party Monarch, was only attended by 11,000 patrons in 2007 and 9,000 in 2008. If there's 100,000 people in Antigua and only 10% are attending the major carnival event, would it be safe to assume that many of those not going are Christian and could we ask for other forms of holiday activities? I am not familiar with the, the statistics you just given, but I'm taking them for granted and on face value what you said. Um, if what you're saying is correct, um, it would seem that the majority of people, but again, uh, I'm not too sure what proportion of the population are minors. Uh, I'm not too sure what, who are adults. So I'm not too sure this is mainly young people going or old people going. The demographics, I'm not too sure about. That's something we need some clarity on. But, uh, I, I, and again, what would be, if Christians could come up with an alternative um, that is something that is healthy and, and uh, uh, edifying, uh, that has some cultural mix to it, um, it is worth exploring, to be very honest with you. It's like I feel sometimes with, with the, the restaurant. I really sometimes we had a Christian restaurant that you could take your young people, enjoy some good Christian music, and maybe even watch a good Christian movie. Uh, I, those things are needed because the, 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 um, the young people are left with no alternative. But then again, when it comes now to cost and investment, people are looking at returns on investment. And many, many times it's the dollar, the almighty dollar that rules. And people are not willing to make a, 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 a lesser sacrifice or lesser gain by engaging in these type of things. But I do think that it's always healthy for Christians to offer alternatives. And if what your statistics are saying is correct, uh, if you do some more investigation and look at the demographics and something could become appealing, I, I wouldn't mind coming to something that was... I mean, at the same time, if uh, if it was something that was, I thought was a Christian could support, it was was healthy for children, et cetera, et cetera, I myself wouldn't mind coming. So I hope the person who wrote that in uh, would do a little bit more on it and, and perhaps um, see if there's a viable alternative. And then why not take the initiative and try it and see how it goes? But we do need some alternatives. What about the Catholic Church who has troops in Carnival? Doesn't that prove that Christians are free to participate in Carnival? I don't know how I would say this without offending um, some who are listening, but if you are familiar with the origins of the Catholic Church and the practice of the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has always been a chameleon. It's always been able to embrace and adapt and incorporate aspects of culture. Uh, when Constantine made... Um, Christianity, the major religion in Rome. Um, there's a book I wish you could get in your possession and read. It's called The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. Uh, that's a fascinating book because what he does, he shows you very clearly that a lot of the practices that are coming to the church were actually borrowed from paganism. He's right about that. The Easter, uh, a lot of things to do with the, 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 the Christian calendar. Um, but that's what the Catholic Church did. In order to win the pagans and incorporate them into the, into the, into the church, they brought in a lot of their pagan practices into the church. Even the, uh, the name that is given to the, uh, I forgot the name of it, that is given to the, uh, the Pope, uh, that is, is that, uh, in the Latin word Maximus something, that's actually a title. I think it's Maximus Pontifus. 
uh, that is actually a title borrowed from paganism. So it doesn't surprise me that, as a matter of fact, I was reading on the um, television, the computer today, that Carnival actually started with, with the Catholics in Italy. And then it was it followed into Europe, and then I, I'm told that it started in the Caribbean in Trinidad, and it started in Trinidad because French Catholics brought it to Trinidad, and it brought the culture into Trinidad, and then when uh, during emancipation, that aspect of Carnival was was borrowed from the uh, actually started in Europe, that part of it was borrowed and incorporated and and became a cultural. Uh, dominated by West Indian culture, but carnivals elements both of Catholic practice because the Catholics were allowed to engage in these activities. Because what's coming after carnival? Lent. Yep. Yeah, that's it. So you live as you please. You Ash do Wednesday. do do whatever you want to live, and then we, we'll forgive you for your sins. We'll pardon you. That's the kind of systematic apostasy that we have. And uh, it's unfortunate uh, when I there's a group in Barbados um, that in the Catholic that, that goes to Kaduma um, crop over crop over crop over. Uh, they have a band that goes to crop over. I understand in Antigua they may have one as well, but that's that's the Catholics for you. Uh, they are more concerned about being culturally accepted than uh, doing the will of God and fulfilling Christ's will and uh, honoring him because no one can read Peter no one can read um, Romans chapter 13 and uh, in any way feel that it's right and proper for a believer to be engaged in such vulgar activities as a matter of fact in Romans chapter 13 um, Paul counseled the believers of how they're supposed to live and I might share this very quickly with you uh, Paul says in Corinthians, in Romans chapter 13 that we must walk honestly, and that word means to walk seemly and decently, not conducting yourself in a manner uh, that is repulsive, but that which is uh, befitting your position as a Christian. He said not in rioting. That word rioting there is the word reveling, not in carousing. That's found in verse 13. And it's interesting, that word that is used there, the Greek word called komos. And I want to read what um, Vincent in his word study said. He said that this word, uh, not reveling or rioting or carousing, it says it was a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome patrons who paraded through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus and some other deities and singing and playing before the houses of their males and their friends. Sounds that like carnival. Sounds like carnival. But Paul is saying we as believers must walk honestly but not in this kind of a lifestyle and then Paul went and said not in drunkenness and the word that is used there is the word strong drink not using strong drink and then uh, in verse 13 he said as well not in chambering it's interesting that word is the word we get the word coitus from not in sexual intercourse because that was part of the reveling when people engage in wine and worshipping the god of Bacchus and having these Bacchus and having these parades it inevitably leads to immorality everyone in Antigua everyone in the Caribbean knows that the greatest time of immorality across the Caribbean is when they engage in this carnival with this drunkenness etc etc and then Paul went on and said not in wantonness and that word means unbridled lust it means excess. It means lasciviousness. But then he says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And the word there, by the way, make no provision for the flesh, the Greek word means to think before. Give no forethought of putting yourself in a position 
where your flesh may be stirred up. See, That is what Paul tells us in, in, in Romans. And it's hard for me to conceive that any believer would have a Bible and know the Bible and read the Bible and read a passage like this and believe that is legitimate and right and proper and decent for a believer to engage in such activities. So how do we bring decency back into society? Well, it got to start with the church. But here's the dilemma that the church has got. The dilemma that, that many, many times when people look into the church, the church looks exactly as the world because the same type of lifestyle, the same type of immorality is now found in the church. So the church needs to clean itself up. And we need to get back to godliness and high moral standards. Uh, the only way we can ever change society is not by being like society, but being different from society. To create uh, in the man of the world a desire for what we have that they don't have. That we have the true and the living God, that our lives are moral, uh, that we are holy, that we are in pursuit of God, and that we are living in such a way that we bring honor to Him. I've heard you say before, Pastor, that we have to be changed from the inside out. Uh, can you explain to the listeners what you mean by that? Well, all transformation, lasting transformation, not artificial or something that's superficial. Anybody can can change the outward man. But if you really want a um, lasting transformation, you've got to have your heart. It all begins with the heart. Jesus made the statement that out of the heart comes all of these things. And in the book of Jeremiah, uh, he promises a new heart. This has to do with conversion and being born again and come to a living faith in Jesus Christ. That when a person put their faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer. He's given a divine nature. He's transformed. He becomes a new creature. And God, the Spirit, begins to work inside and as the spirit works inside the outside is transformed real quickly how do i keep society from influencing me quickly there are two ways two, there are two ways that things into your mind through your ears and through your eyes so watch what you hear and watch what you see i think if you follow that simple rule it'd be helpful you're listening to the caribbean radio lighthouse thank you for joining us this evening for that's truth be sure you tune in next week as we cover a very prevalent topic, a topic that often isn't enjoyed being discussed, but needs to be discussed, and it's that of pornography. How prevalent is it? How do we deal with it? If you're struggling with it, how do you get gain victory over pornography? Be sure to tune in next week for That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.